so just uh, wanted to uh, say um, welcome to Man in the Stand uh, and wanted to say as well um, that weather that we had this this week and this week, last weekend for the Open um, was absolutely marvellous. Was It made for a marvellous Open. I noticed you said um, perhaps if the wind blew a little bit more, make a bit more of a test. Um, so what did you think of the Open overall? I thought it was a bit dull, to be honest. I At no point did I think something interesting was going to happen. And I say that um, a little candidly. Obviously, Colin played brilliantly and Spieth played brilliantly in parts. I just wanted a bit more out of the Open. I don't know. I was watching. I wasn't that impressed by the course. I felt like it played a bit too easy. And I know it maybe didn't look at the scorecard, but maybe it's because the leaders were playing so, I mean, so excellently. I'll play just really, really good golf. But it didn't have the same threat as some Opens have. Um, the bunkers didn't seem to be an issue apart from Louis, who got his knife out in one of them. Um, but I don't know. I just, I was expecting a bit more of the Open. And I think it led to actually a brilliant Sunday and, and Colin Monacow proving just how elite he actually is. But I don't know. I, I couldn't help but feel a little bit, a little bit missing. Um, I just think if there was an extra eight to 10 mile an hour wind, it would have made it a better spectacle, definitely, um, and kept a few more in it, perhaps, and maybe tested Morikawa's obviously elite game. But I feel like the conditions absolutely cleared into his hands by just allowing him to have perfect scoring conditions, hit his irons as close as he fancies half the time, without ever having to to think his way around the course that much or or bring that extra aspect of, of variance into it. Um, but maybe that's just me being grumpy because Spieth didn't win. I don't know. Yeah. The first couple of days were a different story, though, weren't they? When the wind was up on the Thursday and the Friday, it it definitely felt um, more of a test, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I think it was Morikawa's wave, wasn't it, on the... Was, I can't remember which way around it was, but there was a AM, PM or PM, AM that Morikawa was in um, and he had the very much the tougher side of it. I think it was one of the afternoons. It got quite blustery, didn't it? Um, yeah. Scoring, it was about two and a half strokes, three strokes difference um, between the two waves, which just makes his victory more impressive, I think. But yeah, that, that got to the point of, yeah, a couple of players were looking at caddies and asking themselves, oh, what do we do here? Which is what I love about Opens, especially when the wind gets up. But yeah, I mean, it was a it was a treat on the weekend. Regardless, I always love an open, and it's nice to watch golf at a reasonable hour as well. Yes, yeah, you raise a very good point there, wasn't it? Nice to actually be finished at a decent hour watching golf. Actually, get up in the morning with your breakfast and actually watch the open over breakfast. That was marvelous. And then, uh, you know, throughout the day, um, watch it and and just as you say in the evening time. You know, be all finished by sort of eight o'clock. God, that was oh, that's not. I've forgotten actually how how lovely that is. Yeah, it um, beats those uh, seven hole playoffs till three o'clock in the morning, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, often you know, especially on the on the west coast of the United States, over in the UK and Ireland, we're sitting here till God knows what hours. Um, you know, watching golf, and it doesn't. You know, as I say, the leaders often don't go out till you know nine or ten o'clock at night uh, our time. So, no, it was really nice to watch an open that. Uh, yeah, you could have your breakfast too, and lunch, and dinner, and uh, be done, and, uh, and and be finished for the day. So, yeah, I, I thought it was. Um, uh, yeah, I thought it was a, a fantastic open myself. Um, and the other point you raised on touch on there, yeah. I think we just got a bit of a glimpse there on the absolute class of Colin Morikawa. Um, and I think 
as I alluded to you, and I think uh, we shared a, a tweet where, uh, you know, you just felt, oh, shit, we kind of missed one there. Um, now, did we, though? And this is what I want to kind of get into here. He was second ever tournament on a Lynx course. The first tournament he'd ever played on a proper Lynx course was the Scottish Open the week before. We retired for, I think it was 70th or something like that. Um, so, you know, none too inspiring form the week before. Uh, hadn't been, you know, 172nd uh, on the um, on the on the putting stats. So his, you know, his, his demons were, you know, well and truly to the fore in his putting. Um, we knew how good a ball striker he was. That's not up for debate. But what just became patently obvious and almost painfully obvious, actually, when he came through the Saturday and into the Sunday, was, okay, this guy is, he's he's different gravy um, when it comes to and managing his way around the course and 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 as you say perhaps if the wind had blown a bit more over the weekend um, that might have just made a little bit more of a searching test of his open like his links credentials I suppose mm-hmm. but you can't argue with the fact that the guy just is nails isn't he you know um, his, his temperament and his execution um, uh, uh, you know, from some sticky um, spots, and then his putting. We putted the lights out on Sunday. Um, yeah, and I so mean, uh, you know, all in all, yeah, I kind of felt like I kind of missed him. I was a bit of a sleep at the wheel with Colin Murakawa. I know you're a huge fan of him, and I am too. Uh, and I felt like, whoops, uh, a little bit of an oops moment there. I don't know how you felt about that. Yeah, definitely, he's one you missed. And um, that said, there was so many. Things that, to be honest, going back again, I wouldn't have picked him. Um, you could have given me an extra three or four golfers and I wouldn't have picked Morikawa. And maybe that's um, that's a silly thing, but I did take open form into account. And more often than not, bar um, Curtis and um, Morikawa, like that works, right? And I think if you miss him at 40 to 1 in an open, you could back many players who didn't play in an open. Obviously, they, they wouldn't get close. I think... What I didn't maybe account for is, you know how much I like Morikawa and how much I look yeah. for a little excuse to back him based upon his putting because we understand he is absolutely elite with his irons. Um, and that shows, like, the gap between him and the second best ball striker in the on the planet at the minute is large. Um, but the fact that the greens, the open, because... Um, it was relatively baked out. The greens were running at about eight, nine on the stimp, and I think that made an enormous difference. He was put in with real conviction, where normally he's very much a try and die in the hole sort of is a bit tentative with his flat stick. But because they were, they had to be much slower greens because of the conditions, he was able to hit those putts with far more conviction, um, as opposed to it running about 12, 13 on most the, um, most the PGA courses. So I think that helped him a ridiculous amount and then the other part is that that unknown um how he came out in a press conference didn't he before the week started um and said that he wasn't hitting it he wasn't getting that connection off the fescue um at the scottish so he decided to actually change his mid to lower irons and he got rid of his blades didn't he and got um a slightly different version of his irons which i mean it was a gamble that absolutely paid off but 
that's such an unknown before the golf tournament that you, you can't really bear that in account in hindsight about betting. Um, I mean, it's it, going forward, it's going to be an auto bet, isn't he? Anywhere near that 40 to 1 number. I think it's quite ironic that he's, he was 40 to 1 at the at concession, wasn't he? When he, he kind of had shown a glimpse with the putter. Um, so it is an opportunity missed, but take me back and I wouldn't have backed him still. Um, uh, that's really interesting comment, Matt. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not sure I could say the same. Uh, and you've got the credit of backing him at concession. You you picked him at concession to win at 40 to 1 uh, and tipped him up. So you've got that credit uh, in the bank, so to speak. Yeah. I, I, um, I don't. Uh, and I, I backed him earlier in his career and um, and and, and um, it came, uh, when he came to second to Berger at the Charles Schwab, uh, the first tournament after lockdown, uh, uh, I th- I thought okay this kid is something else and uh, you know I'd seen it previous to that too but he um, yeah if you I don't it's such a it's such a bugger isn't it um, uh, 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 golf betting because you you look at a guy like Morikawa on that day and think and th- I made a little comment about this actually and and I know golf commentators have to do this they have to big it up and have to big up the tension but I thought that was Colin Morikawa's tournament about two hours out from the finish you know um, uh, I just thought uh, halfway through the the, the 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 final round I just thought Morikawa's just in the zone here he's not going to get beat. Um, I and uh, and and they were oh it's any ones that can be any ones it could be and that's true and Spieth made a good run at him and Ustazen tried his hardest but uh, I just thought oh geez I missed one there on Morikawa um, and of course hindsight's twenty twenty and and I can say that now but gee that was a uh... just want to read you out something as well um, this is very interesting this is um, speaks to Morikawa's kind of class and the kind of class where he sits. So this is through his first, um, this is a stat that I found through 52 professional starts, which Colin Morikawa's had now. So mm. through 52 professional starts, Colin Morikawa, two majors, um, he's had five wins, which works out about 10% of his of 10% win rate. He's had three runner-ups, which is about 6%, 20 top 10s, which is about 38%, and four missed cuts. So mm. five wins, three runners-up, tw- 20 top 10s, and four missed cuts, and two majors. Um, Tiger Woods, at the same point, through 52 starts, one major, eight wins, four runners-up, 31 top 10s, and one missed cut. So he actually, his, his stats are a little bit better overall, even though Morikawa has the one more major, interestingly, at 24 um, uh, and through 54 starts um, that um, Tiger Woods had. John Rahm, um, through 54 starts, um, zero majors, five wins, four runners-ups, 23 top 10s, and six missed cuts. So very similar to Morikawa, except for the no majors. Oh, no, sorry, I beg your pardon. Now he has one. I beg your pardon. Now he has one. So he's got one less major than Morikawa through the same sort of starts, but his stats read quite similarly. And then Jordan Spieth, um, through 50... No, I beg your pardon. Sorry, what am I doing? John Rum is 54 starts, so no majors through that 54 starts. I beg your pardon. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Jordan Spieth through 54 starts. No majors, uh, one win, five runners-up, 20 top 10s and eight missed cuts. So his actually reads the worst out of, um, in some ways, um, out of the um, out of this first 54 starts. So just really more than, nothing more than just Morikawa, you know, he sits right along, you know, along beside Tiger Woods here now, and at his age, 
for what he's just achieved. I think we're starting to see the greatness of this guy. I think, um, uh, you know, I think there was a bit of an eye opener now uh, that we're, we, and, you know, as you say, you knew, you, you've always tipped that what an guy is. I've always been a big fan. It doesn't, you know, he doesn't have to be a genius to know he's absolutely excellent. But I think now we're just starting to see the the depth of his of his brilliance, really. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's easy to be it's easy for hyperbole to come out, isn't it? In the in the aftermath of a major, um, it's hard because people's careers go on such different trajectories. I mean, you think about. Like you said, those stats about early early Morikawa and early Tiger, even early Rory, who had four wins by what twenty five, something mm. like that, and then hasn't won one since. Um, but yeah. then you look at your Phil Mickelsons of the world, and I know it's a slightly different era, but he didn't win his first one till two thousand and four, did he? When he was well into his thirties, I think. And then obviously he's got six in the tank now. It's major winning is so hard to predict, right? Because there are just, especially nowadays when it's ultra competitive, um, and like you say, you just said Rory, you'd have. 10 in his career when he won those four. Um, what's a decade mm, now, isn't it? That's true, yeah. But yeah. right now, yeah, Morikawa does look like the elite of, of the golfing world, really. But that's because he was just completely in the zone for me. And that was the best of Morikawa, right? We wouldn't, we're not going to see him much better than that. Um, and someone made a reasonable point to me on Twitter when I was quite rightly praising Morikawa. And it was actually, if Ram had hauled a few putts, he only finished about four back. He actually may have beaten him. Um, so I think it's that especially put in variants when you are already an elite golfer like your Rams, like your Morikawas, even Jordan Spieth and the rest of them. When they put well, they generally will win. It's just when you can string your whole game together. Um, and I like that that Morikawa is just so ultra consistent with his iron play. Um, I was listening to a podcast earlier in the week and they made quite an excellent point that, do you know when you get your people I like to back, like your your Neesmiths and your Chris Kirks and your Pat and Kaziahs, Yeah. weeks that they put well, they might not have a good day with their irons or they might drive it pretty iffy. Whereas when Morikawa puts well, you know he's going to hit his irons brilliantly every time he's out. You know he's going to hit that lovely little butter cut off virtually every tee. So when he does put well, obviously he's going to contend or win because it's almost like the rest of his game, all of the other facets are almost so automatic now that they're just, that is his baseline and he very, very rarely drops below. Um, and I think that's almost the same with with John Rahm with his tee to green game at the moment. He is so imperious off the tee that he just needs to find a couple of puts um, and I think those two are kind of separating themselves at the minute as when they're on they're really on it's that age-old conversation that you used to have about Dustin and Rory about who is the best golfer in the world when everything goes right and I think right now that is those two golfers right yeah yep I think those are I think those are points well made and let's go through some of these other golfers in this particular field I think that was a good point you made out Ram he was coming with a wet sail on the final day and um, as you're saying, if, if not for a couple more putts, he may have made it very interesting. Um, so Colin Morikawa wins the Open on 15 under par, um, final uh, wins by two strokes from Jordan Spieth. Um, John Rahm finishes um, tied third with Louis Oosthuizen on 11 under. Um, Dylan Brown finishes the tournament on nine under. Brooks Kepka made a very um, good la last dash on the f a final round uh, uh, and finished eight under for the tournament. Tied six with Mackenzie Hughes, who had a fantastic open um, 
then we go down to um, J- Dustin Johnson, who had a good, sort of a spluttering kind of weekend uh, and finished um, tied eighth with Robert McIntyre, who started the Open terribly and, uh, and, then, uh, and then really had a very strong um, Saturday and Sunday. But no one, I don't think, had a stronger Sunday apart from um, uh, 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 Morikawa in terms of winning the tournament. But Daniel Berger had an absolute storming final round um, to finish um, tied on seventh under, um, seven under as well with Scotty Scheffler. So they sort of round out the top ten. And then outside of that, um, Victor Hovland had a good tournament, Emiliano Grillo. Shane Lowry, after a very tardy start, had a very good um, a tournament, finishing tied 12th. Your mate Tony Finau, um, who, who looked like he was I, – I was actually thinking, Jesus Christ, uh, Matt, you might be onto something here. Uh, and then he kind of spluttered through the weekend to finish tied 15th on five under. Um, and – the other ones of note, Corey Connors um, played well on as they tied on 15th. Mar- Marcel Seam, the um, guy who lost his card in the European Tour, had a great tournament, finishing tied on 15th on on, on five under. Um, yeah, uh, my bets in terms of uh, uh, my bets for the week were an absolute car crash, to be honest. So um, the the one guy I had who had any kind of hope, who actually was was right up near the top of the leaderboard, um, but on Saturday morning was Cameron Smith, who who just had a well, that's what you could call a clusterfuck of a weekend, basically finishing tied thirty third on two under on the tournament, and just absolutely went to pieces, which just drives me crazy about Cameron Smith. The guy's got all the ability in the world and he, he gets very close and seems to just implode. I don't know why, but um, you can n- count on nobody to go back faster through a field than Cameron Smith. When And when you've got your money on it, it it's uh, and um, that just drives you to drink. So, um, uh, yeah, he was he's a very frustrating follow for me. Even though I've you know, done well out of him, we've tipped him up and I've won him on him this year, he, he drives me crazy when he gets close at these tournaments because he... I don't know. He does his best to lose it and, and at times. So that was my little moan about uh, Cameron Smith. Um, and as I say, the rest of my picks were, were not, not much better. Um, and then let's uh, let's go down to the end of the field. Well, not end of the field, but um, there's a certain uh, Rory McIlroy tied for 46th on even path of the tournament. And you, as you made a good point before, Matt, you know, here's a guy that we talked about years ago who'd won four majors by a young age, was was destined for you know, to be in the greats of the game, still arguably is, but man, he is sucking at the moment, isn't he? I mean, he, he, uh, and I know he's in the pro, everyone says it's a process and he'll be, he'll be there and he'll come back and he will, I know he will, but my God, uh, he talked himself up so big at the beginning of the week. I mentioned not in the podcast last week, he was on the radio on an interview saying, I found something in my game. I'm really, really excited. It's, I've turned a corner, blah, 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 blah. How many times have I heard him say that? And he just, he just absolutely dies in a hole uh, in every sort of big tournament. You know, apart from Quail Hollow this year, it's been another disappointing year. So um, I'm just going to sort of uh, throw it over to you now, Matt. Anyone through those names of, uh, you know, uh, anyone who sort of stuck out to you for future bets or um, performance-wise that you thought, okay, I'm going to put a ring around him or uh, any who stuck out to you this tournament? Yeah, I mean, I'll start on McElroy quickly because I think he's... He's sadly missing something, and I just find it. I mean, if I'd backed him, I didn't. It would have been incredibly frustrating as a Rory backer, having heard that press conference the week after the Scottish to then yeah. the press conference after the Open, where I think it got a question, something like, "Are you trying too hard?" or something along those lines. And his response was basically, "What do you mean trying too hard? Golf isn't that serious to me. I've got 
an amazing life with an amazing house. I'd worry for nothing. I've got a young family. This doesn't matter was what he was saying. Like there's more important things in life. And yeah. I think part of that is a bit doth protest, right? Like he's, he wants yeah. to, to defer from, from actually looking at himself and thinking, well, this isn't good enough. I'm Rory McIlroy and actually I should be playing much, much better than this. And I think it's a defense mechanism to some degree, but just interesting that he sort of flip-flopped from one um, to the complete antithesis of what he said after the Scottish in that mm. really confident I found in my game. Like I really want to make this. I just find him impossible to get right. And at the prices he's going up, all of the events that he's been in recently, even when he won at Quail Hollow, I just couldn't touch him with, with anyone else's money. Um, I think, He's no. very much a watching brief. I really hope he gets back to it because on point, he is spectacular to watch, isn't he? But mm. I just couldn't touch him at the minute. And I think he doesn't quite know what he wants. Um, I mean, I can't blame him. What he's saying is absolutely right. He has a brilliant life and he plays golf. He loves playing golf. But I don't know, maybe his life is too good and he's just too happy playing a bit of golf, making a bit of money and living an amazing life. And perhaps that's true. It doesn't strike mm. me as the person who won all those majors so young. But maybe he's burned out a tad and all of that, all of that childhood of golf and sort of constant pressure and achievement. And now he's won all those majors. He's not got the grand slam, but he's had a hall of fame career regardless. And maybe that's sort of a, it's what, I don't know, it's what a lot of golfers don't have, right? So where do you go from there? Where do you find that motivation to keep going um, at an elite level? If he's looking at himself and looking at your John Rams and Morik Howes and thinking, I am so far away from that right now. So, mm. It's, I mean, it could be debilitating, couldn't it, if you think about it in that sense. Now, I'm sure that's not Rory's mindset and he will come back and I genuinely hope he does. Um, if only just to shut up the haters on Twitter who like to, uh, um, yeah, have a bit of a go at him. Um, but yeah, Rory is Rory and I won't be betting him anytime soon. No, me neither. No. The rest of the field I thought was interesting. I think just to cover a couple of my bets, Tony Fino was just the most frustrating player to watch. I think he made 20 birdies, 21 birdies or something silly um, mm. across the, the four days, which is more than virtually anyone else. He just followed them with almost an equal amount of bogeys, which is quite on Tony Fino-like um, for me. But just a frustrating watch. He only needed a couple more for a place. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you kind of get what you pay for with Tony Fino, don't you? I think mm. I quoted his open finishes on the show last week and he'd had four between 12th and 20th and he's got another one in the bag. Um, so I'll probably back him next year for the 15th finish. Um, Joel Damon was another one. He was incredibly frustrating. It's such solid golf through three days. He sat at four under after Saturday. Um, oh yeah, I thought he was. I thought you. Were, I thought you were onto a huge shout with him because he was any old money, and you tipped him up. And yeah, he was three hundred to one in a place. Two hundred and fifties I took to get the eleven places, and as it turned out, he needed to shoot three under on Sunday. Um, unfortunately, he shot five over on the front nine, which just killed him. And then he shot a couple under on the back. I think yeah. just one of those that he'd not finished anywhere near the places, but he played so well apart from that front nine on Sunday. So I feel a bit frustrated with him, um, to be honest, because he was he played really, really, really solid golf. Mm -hmm. But a lesson learned. I think the one takeaway um, I'm going to take from this one is Mackenzie Hughes, firstly. I think it's, it's one of, again, it's frustrating because I put him up at any old price for the US Open, that Bryson one, I believe. Mm. And then the US Open after that, he's obviously placed um, and then he's placed in a major again. Now, he's a player I used to like quite a lot. I liked quoting um, in some weaker events that he made the Tour Championship last year and he was he was turning out for some swing season events at like hundreds plus and I thought he was great value. Now, it turned out he wasn't. <laughs> he didn't play that well in those events. But he's one of those players, similar to Dylan Fratelli, that just turns up in the majors. Um, and 
on a similar note, I think turning up in the majors, Bob McIntyre. How good was he after his first round? Yeah, I know. He was amazing, wasn't he? Yeah, after the... What did he finish? T11 or something at Augusta as well. And he's not mm. played many majors. And I think to be that comfortable, um, obviously lefties round Augusta are always going to be useful. Um, and out of all the majors, you'd think the Open is the one for Bob um, or Robert, as he likes to be known. Not Bob anymore, is it? Um, but I just think it's impressive to... But he's finished seven under, right? And it is quite far back of Colin Morikawa. But that's his... It's, he's kind of played many majors in his career, and that's with a horrible out of bounds on the par five on the back nine too, where he hit one of the best approaches I saw all week for a tapping bogey, which is just excellent. And he looks to to love that pressure, doesn't he? And to love the the challenge of a major championship, which a lot of them would would pale into. What about space? Oh, I didn't want to talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make you talk about him. Oh, Jordan Spieth. It was his front nine, wasn't it? He turned into just the opposite of Jordan Spieth on the front nine on Sunday. Just ruined it for himself. He was very lucky to get through that first six holes, two over par. But unfortunately, when you're already starting, and I know Louis faded away, didn't he? But he's starting three shots back of the leader. You can't go two over through the first six holes. And I know they were hard holes. But I don't think, I think he hit one green in the first six, which is just... He gave himself too much to do, and he did make the eagle on seven, and he looked brilliant through hole seven through 14. I think he went eight, six under through eight holes. Yeah, he was amazing. Is the it's it's yeah. very Jordan, isn't it? And I was just waiting for him to stick the next one in and put a bit of pressure on Morikawa. I would have liked Morikawa to be, to be trying to chip out of that cabbage on 15, thinking if I bogey you, we're tied. And I thought mm. that could have made a difference. He's played mm. really well. Like after shooting two over through the first six, he's then shot six under um, for the for the remainder of the of the round. He shot the same score as Morikawa on Sunday, so it's nothing to be to shake your head at. But he never really looked like he was going to win it, did he? That was my issue with him. I never truly believed that he was going to. And I think there was clutch Morikawa puts that came in. But you don't want to look back, do you? But that Saturday finish was just horrendous. Um, missing a two-footer on 18 just because he wasn't paying attention. I was tearing my hair out on Saturday, I'll be honest, because he would have been a lovely lay price to go into at some point on Sunday if he hadn't made those. But I don't think you can look back and blame it. Morikawa deserved to win it. Um, I got my each-way money from Spieth, which has saved the vast majority of my week. And we look again, but Jordan Spieth in the Open, I'm almost certain to be backing him again next year. I think he makes out brilliantly for it. And if he's in any sort of form, he'd be my favourite probably next year. Um, St Andrews, I quite like him up there, but he's a frustrating watch. Um, but I thought he was excellent again all week. Yeah, I, I thought he was excellent. He's back. I mean, there's, you can just forget about this kind of uh, form issue now. He's back uh, with bells on. I mean, now you know he's had a win at the Lira Texas Open. He's had a hatful of um, you know high leaderboard finishes in the second to the op- at the Open now to Colin. I mean, he he is back in spades. And so you know any tournament that Jordan Spieth tees it up now, you've got to watch because he's. You know, uh, anything from 150 yards out with those wedges, he's absolutely incredible. And the only guy that would probably challenge him with uh, with a nine in his hand now would be Colin Morikawa. I thought Louis Eustace, and I, the way that you felt about Spieth, um, I just, I just thought I'd never had any kind of confidence that Eustace was going to win on Sunday. As much as I wanted him to emotionally, I thought, oh, it'd be nice. Louis should, he deserves it. Uh, he's had so many second, six second place finishes at majors, and uh, you know, he's had one British Open, one Open. Um, but why don't we, uh, you know? Hope Hopefully he gets one more. That'd be great for Louis. He deserves it. But I just, I could, I just saw straight away after the first few holes. Okay, this, this is not going to happen for Louis. He just, I don't know what it kind of 
we sort of I don't know the pressure kind of gets to Louis a little bit I think sometimes and um yeah and you just uh, you know just didn't quite have it um it, yeah Mackenzie Hughes I think in terms of the sort of lesser names um that um uh, uh that really sort of came out to me this Dylan Fratelli when he turns up and he feels like playing is a, is a very good player and um and um Daniel Berger continues to impress me. I know he's not a lesser light. He's a very much a well-known name, but um, I, I think Berger could could kick on and have a... Uh, I think there's a major in Berger somewhere. Uh, if you can pick Berger, you could get him at a really good price. Um, but, uh, okay. Um, well, without any further ado, let's move on to, to this week. We're back in the States. We're back in uh, the PGA Tour. And we're up north, the most northerly actual point of the PGA Tour, which is in Minnesota. Uh, and this is the 3M Open at TPC Twin Cities. Now, it's interesting with this particular tournament because um, it's uh, it's only its second it's only its second year at this particular uh, venue, so we, we don't have a lot of um, course form to go go on. But you know, the two winners in, in the last couple of years have been uh, Matt Wolf. Uh, and uh, Michael Thompson, and I shot. I think they shot, you know, uh, nineteen and twenty under respectively. So it kind of goes in the same sort of um, vein as TPC Deer Run and uh, and and the Rocket um, Mortgages Classic. In the terms of the last couple of PGA Tour tournaments, we've got fairly gettable courses here, and and uh, with uh, you know some fairly low scores probably going to be shot again so um you know it's not terribly long uh, it's a past 71 about 7300 and something yards so we're not you know we're not looking at a, a terribly or 7400 yards not a ter- terribly long course uh and uh and and a history of um of of uh, of, of some fairly low scores uh only obviously across the last couple of years um Designed by Tom Lehman, it's got sort of bent grass greens um, and a lot of water. Water on twelve of the holes, so you know you, what it seems to me uh, to be is uh, you, you know from from looking at the the past sort of results. Uh, Michael Thompson at, last year, Michael Thompson, Ad, uh, Adam Long, Tony Finau, Mariano Grillo, Max Homer, Charles, Charles Howe, uh, and then and the and the year before that. Uh, you have um, uh, uh, Michael, Matthew Wolf, Bryson DeChambeau, Colin Morikawa, Adam Hanbin, Wyndon Clark, and Carlos Ortiz sort of making up the top five. So uh, uh, there's a lot of big ball strikers there, uh, and, uh, and but there's also um, there's a lot of um, a lot of big drivers. And, uh, sorry, big drivers and good ball strikers. And uh, you know, I think it's a fairly open tournament. What's interesting for me, Matt, and I'll be interested in your view on this, is there's a few guys coming back from the Open. So, again, you know, I'm obviously straight on a jet plane and flying flying back to, um, to Minnesota for this. Uh, do you think fatigue will be much of a factor in this? And, and uh, did you sort of put that into your sort of factoring when you were looking at your selections? Yes and no. I think, I mean, history tells us that that's absolutely the case, especially if they've played the weekend. Generally, they players don't play that well um, next time out. Um, it's the reason I've stayed away from a lot of the short prices. Um, and it's the reason that I've switched out one of the players who I was going to back at the last minute for for someone who's just going to be a bit fresher for me. Um, but I have included a couple 
um, just because I think they've come out really well. But if it was a flip between two players and one hadn't played the Open and one had, I'd definitely go for the one who hadn't. I think it will be a factor. It's a reason that I'm going to go nowhere near the top of the board really this week, um, or the very top anyway with your... I mean, anyone who backs Tony Fino at 18-1 need the red looking at, don't they? But you know, <laughs> at 15-2, Patrick Reed, like Louis Eustace and his no sort of price. And with his... I mean, imagine how he's feeling after tied for the lead after God knows how many major close calls this year to then turn up to uh, Minnesota at Twin Cities and uh, go for a lesser event. I'd be, I'm surprised some of them haven't withdrawn, to be honest. Um, yeah, so I, I'm surprised at that. No, I, still don't, I still wonder if there might not be one or two very late withdrawals. I, I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, maybe. I think Dustin's sort of tied to it, isn't he? He's sponsored by, by 3M as far as I know. So I think he's, he's obviously getting plenty of money from uh, his sponsors for turning up and having a bit of a hit and giggle. Um, yeah, it's Louis the one that I thought would withdraw. Um, to that female would play, but I mean, he's probably chasing that win now, isn't he? Trying to find a couple of weaker fields. Well, that's right. Yeah, and when Patrick Reed was one of my uh selections last week at the mm-hmm. open, and I was totally bitterly disappointed with Patrick Reed. Uh, I know he's one of your selections as well. I mean, I, I just thought he was terrible, and uh, and and it would just be I won't go near him this week because a the odds are too short short for him and b I just I don't know what where he is at at the moment but it would be just like Patrick Reed to go rock up and bloody win this week but um yeah I I, I think um it's an interesting field uh so we, let's have a look at the field just in terms of some of the names at the top of the leaderboard so Dustin Johnson uh Louis Eustace and Tony Finau Patrick Reed last year's champion Patrick Wolf um and uh you know Robert McIntyre's made the trip you know you know after a very good finish at the open uh Bubba Watson uh then you sort of then uh, you know Sergio Garcia um and then and then the names sort of start to you know that that's about the pinnacle of the leaderboard then you start to get into your sort of usual um suspects on the PGA tour uh, and uh, you know, and there's a, there's a fair bit of value that can be had around there. So that was a, definitely a, a factor in my thinking this week. Matters. Okay, do I pick guys that even who, who are not the the bigger names, but were at the Open last week? How do they back up this week? How would I, you know, how would you know, how would a, how would you back up after you know, especially as you say, played four days at the Open and then had to jump on the jet plane and get back to the states and get straight back onto it again at this with the jet lag and the travel and all of that. And Minnesota is a fairly long way from from the UK, so I, I would have thought that that would be um, not terribly easy, and it definitely was a factor in my thinking as well. And uh, one of the other factors in my thinking here, uh, because it's only been a couple of years, and it seems to be um, you know some interesting names played quite well here over the last couple of years who are not obvious choices i've definitely gone for a bit of course form as well what about you yeah i mean it's quite a i'll be honest i found it really hard this week to handicap because i had a long list of about 15 20 golfers um and i made a couple of quick decisions that i knew i was going to back and to be honest the rest was very much a pick um there's been incredibly little for me to differentiate between the golfers I've backed and the ones I haven't. Um, Not that I don't quite fancy the golfers I've picked, but there was just a much of a muchness of around eight golfers that I wanted to back. And I thought I'm not backing eight golfers in the 3M. I'm going to narrow it down, but it's just one of those. You hope you land on the right ones, don't you? If one of them does win and you hope one of the ones you left off doesn't. Um, It's a, 
they only had a couple of editions, obviously, and they've been quite different. Obviously, you had Bryson and and Wolf up near the top, but then the other one, which was won by Michael Thompson, is very much not the case because he's nowhere near um, the length of those lads off the tee. Yeah, um, it's very much a keep it in, play off the tee, avoid the water best you can, um, hit your greens in reg. Ideally, get that strokes gained approach and give yourself lots of opportunities, not just a green in reg and wholesome putts. Um, I did read an interesting stat. Um, Justin Ray Golf on Twitter, um, who comes out with all sorts of interesting stuff, um, said that this is um, the second, the course where there are the second most approaches on tour from between 175 to 200 yards, which I thought was a little bit odd considering it's not a particularly long course, um, but it is the case. And the only other one that has more approaches from between 175 and 200 is the Honda Classic. Um, which I've used as a bit of a a bit of a correlating course this week as well. So I think there might be something in in hitting those long approaches this week or relatively long approaches with an iron that is not not using timber. But quite a, a pedestrian bit of research for me. Just there is lots of water off the tee, so you don't necessarily need to drive it long, but you need to be relatively accurate. Not hit fairways, but just keep it keeping it in play um, and not making those big numbers, which which are so easy to make when there's, what, 12, 13 holes of water on it. Um, yeah, basically, I've just looked for a nice, solid teeter green game, a little bit of recent form um, and approach figures, giving yourself enough chances. And if you can put, great. But we all know I like to bad. I like to back bad putters. <laughs> I'm I'm a bit like you this week, Matt. I found it very hard to pick this. I, um, I don't know whether it was a hangover from the open or, or what, but I... I I found this really, really difficult um, because I was kind of betwixt, betwixt and between about um, whether I would take golfers coming back from the open, and, and there are a few of them. And uh, and yeah, I'm also once again, you know, I, I like to value hunt, so I I went away from the top of the market and um, and have tried to find a few golfers that I'm, you know, looking for course form and just uh, so they've done well here in the past. That's kind of what I've ended up basing a lot of it on. And just any sort of recent form. And you guys, are, there's one particular guy I've picked here that I've just thought has been playing good recent form and is a little bit under the radar. So I'm kind of trying to find under radar golfers. But I did find this probably one of the toughest tournaments pick all year. And that's not especially because of the tournaments, anything special about it. It's just, yeah, I just don't know quite where to go with this. So I'm, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to have a go with four golfers anyway. So, um, so, I'm going to throw it over to you this week, Matt, uh, since you had the highest place finishing last week with Jordan Spieth. So you've got the honour to uh, to give us who you like and why. Uh, so the floor is yours, mate. Sure. So, do you know, I said that I'm not backing players um, that are that short of priced and I'm not backing people coming back from the Open. I did lie a little bit. So um, <laughs> of the top 10 golfers in this field in the market, <laughs> I think this player is the worst of them. Um, but I'm backing him instead of anyone else. So that's my rationale this week for backing Emiliano Grillo. Now, I didn't think I was going to say that name because he's not really been um, a golfer that I back. I think that he's just been inconsistent on the greens. He's a real good ball striker, but just hasn't been great. And he's actually missed his last three cuts before the Open in which he finished T12, which is a great result. Um, And I think... Despite him being 33 to 1 and him being a relatively short price, it just makes out so, so well in the stats modeling I did. And he's one of those that if I didn't back him, I would be kicking myself if he went in. So it's kind of one of those where I've had to just um, withhold my disbelief a little bit, forget it is Emilio Anno Grillo, and just back him based on the numbers. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, I narrowed it down to the last three months in recent form just to really get the, the strokes gained figures of 
of recency. Um, and he just comes out really well. He's going to keep it in play. He's 19th on tour in good drives gained, which is what I used this week rather than um, like fairways hit just because he needs to keep it in play. doesn't necessarily need to keep it out the rough as long as he's not in the water. Um, he is number one in this field in strokes gained approach um, and number 13, Tita Green, and number five in greens in reg. So we know he's going to keep himself in play. We know he's going to give himself lots of chances. Now, for anyone who knows Emiliano Grillo, they know that he is a god-awful putter. However, that's not actually the case in the last three months. He may well historically be a god-awful putter, but in this field, he's actually number 48, which is slightly above average, which wasn't what I thought I'd see. And I think that, combined with his awesome Tita Green play, has made him come so high in the models, as well as coming third in this last year. So he's only played it once. He clearly likes the course. So I actually really like the Grillo bet this week, despite me thinking he is objectively the worst golfer in the top 10 in the field. Um is the same price as Bubba Watson and Rob, Bob McIntyre so, and Sergio Garcia. However, I think he's much a much better bet than them this week. So Emiliano Grillo is number one cab off the rank this week. Number two is going to be no stranger to anyone who's listened to the show for the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm staying aboard Hank Lebiorda. Uh He is a bit shorter than I backed him at in previous weeks, but he's pretty much the form player on tour at the minute. He's just carrying through his form and playing really, really well. Um, he played well at uh, Deer Run. I think he played well was the Byron Nelson or Rocket Mortgage. I can't remember, but he's had f- multiple top tens recently. And again, he comes up really well. He is put in like a demon. Um, we saw that, I think it was Deer Run, where he was just hauling everything. Um, he's 52nd tall and driving accuracy, which is nice. Um, and he's just he's top 20 Tita Green and Greens in reg, um, as well as scoring quite well um, with those longer approaches we talked about. Um and then he's got some decent course form. He was 26th last year and 34th the year before. But both of those finishes are pretty solid. And they were when he was playing nowhere near as well as he is this year. So although it's a bit skinnier um, than I actually liked, um, I backed him at 45s. And I thought it was interesting when you rank the field based on just total strokes gained the last three months. Hank Lebiorda's second in the field, um, even above all those all those massive names like Dustin and Louis and Fino. I can't remember who the golfer is. That was number one. But second isn't bad for me at 45s. So Hank Lebiorda is number two. Number three is one I thought long and hard about. Um, he's actually a, one I've been chatting about on Twitter just, just recently before I come on the podcast. His stats always come out well because he's excellent with approach. He's really long. He's got greens and regulation for days. And he's actually number seven on tour in approaches between 175 and 200 yards. Um, and he's called Stuart Sink. Now, I realise that he missed the cut at the Open. I think missing the cut actually might be a good thing. Um, and I'm sure you'll remember when Dave Tindall tipped him up the week after the Masters and he, he romped home at Harbour Town. Um, no, I'm not saying he's going to do the same thing. And he's less than half the price that he was there. But he just comes out really well. And I think 50 to 1 is a great each way shout. Whether he wins or not, I'm not sure. But another kind of stats based bet that I really struggled to avoid this week. Um, so Stuart Sink is number three. Um, number four, I apologize, I've got six this week, but the next two are really long. Um, number four is a purely a form based bet, and it's Luke List. Luke List is 50 to 1. Now, if you told me at this time last year I was back in Luke List at 50 to 1, I'd have probably signed myself up for the asylum myself. Um, he was 26th here last year, which is reasonable enough. Um, in his last two starts, he's come T4 and T5 um, at the Barbasol and John Deere, um, both of which were quite low scoring events. Um, and he's another one who actually, 
is historically a really bad putter, but has shown some promise in the last three months and definitely in the last couple of weeks. Now, his numbers are excellent with approach play, with Tita Green, with Green's in regulation. So I find absolutely no reason not to back Luke List just because he's been brilliant in the last couple of weeks. Um, and he's one of those that is absolutely prodigious off the tee, which, while it's probably not absolutely necessary here, Wolf did all right and DeChambeau did all right by doing a very similar thing. So a formless base player, Luke List, um, 50 to 1. Um, and that leaves me two. The first is Bohog um, at 100. He might be 90 at one point. Um, it might be 90 now. I think he's been tipped up by a couple of other people. Now, Bohog I quite like because he does come out well in the modelling. But he's number 125 on the FedEx Cup minute which means he's very much on the bubble and he needs a couple of good finishes to make sure he secures that tour card for next year which i think definitely is a big motivator for these players towards the end of the season um he is excellent at the he keeps it in play he's got lots of good yeah, good drives gained and approach play is really good greens in reg is really good he came 12th here last year all just things that suggest he shouldn't be anywhere near a three-figure price for especially in a relatively weak field um, so Bohog, number five, and number six is just a flyer, to be honest, on Satoshi Kodaira. Um, I have a bit of a soft spot for Satoshi Kodaira because I won a lot of money on him um, at the Harbour Town a couple of years ago when he beat Siwoo Kim in the wind in the, on the Sunday, came from absolutely miles back. Um, and he's one of those that I just have a half a feeling about. I've watched him in spurts this year and he's been decent with approach play. Um, he's decent tee to green. He sort of is just a steady, steady golfer. And in my models, he was coming out, not like he's going to win the event, but his stats were very similar to golfers that were the top end, top end of the 90s, sort of 80 to 1, 90 to 1. And he's 200 to 1. So why wouldn't I back a 200 to 1 golfer that I think should be about 125s or 100s? It's just a bit of a value player, bit of a flyer, lastly, on Satoshi Kodaira to small stakes. Okay. Thanks, mate. Um Right, let's uh, let's go with mine. Uh, the first guy I'm going to uh, my first selection is uh, Cameron Davis at 35 to one with Star Sports Bet. Why have I picked Cameron Davis? Uh, he actually, uh, obviously, I tipped him up to one at 100 to one a couple of weeks ago. Then he went out to the John Deere Classic and he started like a uh, like a bull on the gate. He was off and uh, and he was uh, leading at one point. Uh, and then he kind of uh, uh, tired, and, and, and he finished well, uh, but he, um, uh, you, you know, he just uh, just sort of flattened, and uh, and he admitted actually afterwards that he was just kind of tired. He hadn't seen his family; um, they were going to celebrate his first PGA Tour win. He wasn't going to go to the Open because uh, it needed to. There was a whole lot of travel protocols he needed to sort of undergo to get there, and he was actually. Flying out from Australia to Stephen celebrate his win, and I actually think that might stand to him because you'll have seen his family now; they'll all have celebrated, and uh, you know the fact that he's now got that monkey off his back. He's got his first PGA Tour win, and I think um, he'll be happier uh, mentally to have seen his family, and uh, you know because it must be a fairly lonely existence out here on on tour as a young kind of guy when you're half the world away from your family because he's Australian, obviously. So uh, you know. For all that pressure of actually trying to make the make the sort of the win, get the win, get the card, and and have your sort of card secured for the next couple of years, I would imagine that's a it's a huge kind of relief and and uh, and just a, a source of um, 
sort of celebration for for you to to do it um especially mm-hmm. you know to see your family when you haven't seen them for for you know probably the best part of a, a year or two because of obviously covid and all of that so I, I think that for all those reasons, um, I think that Cameron Davis is uh, is, a, is a good look for this particular tournament. Not only for that, but also for the fact that he actually has played well here before. Uh, so his, um, I'm just looking at his uh, his past results here. Uh, so he finished uh, tied 12th here last year. This course sort of suits up well for him um, in terms of, uh, you know, he's a big hitter. We know that. Um, and uh, he's got fantastic iron play. He can come in from a long distance from mines. And uh, and if he, I think if he's mentally refreshed, he doesn't have to go to the open. So he's not going to be kind of jet lagged. He'll have seen, you know, it feels better from seeing his family and celebrating all of that. Of course, he's played on well on last year. And he, he putts well when he's in, you know, when he's feeling it. And I think he's still, um, I'm, I'm going to take the punt that he's still kind of in that sort of zone and uh, and, and still going well. Uh, he's at 35 to 1 star sports, which I don't love as odds, but I'm, I, I'm going to look past that and actually pick him for the fact that he's got course form. And I think he'll play well. So 35 to 1, Cameron Davis is my first bet. Um, my next bet is Richie Rorensky. Um, I've kind of been banging on about this guy a little bit lately, and and I'm going to sort of keep the faith with him. Um, he played well here uh, as well last year. Uh, he finished tied third here last year, Richie Wierenski. So he's got good course form. Um, he's fresh once again, um, uh, having not been at the Open. So um, I, I, I like his... Um, I like his game. I, I, I've got a bit of time for this guy. I think he, uh, you know, he's had one PGA Tour win. Uh, I think at, and the reason also I like him as odds, he's at 70 to 1. So I, I'm going to pick Richie Wierenski because I think he's been trending well lately. He, but while not, while not kind of getting the job done, I think coming back here, being quite, and, um, and playing a tournament, tournament that he tied third last year at, I think could stand to him. So I'm, I'm going to go him next. Um, my next is um, Brandon Haggy. Uh, he's a hundred to one with Star Sports. Um, Haggy has been playing really well lately. Uh, he's been. T- this is a kind of a kind of a trending sort of uh, thought. Um, he uh, he finished uh, finished very well at the Rocket Mortgage. Like he was in contention for the lead uh, for the actual for the whole thing um, uh, with uh, well, through onto the Sunday. Uh, and uh, and then backed it up at the John Deere Classic uh, the week after with a very good finish as well. Uh, and, uh, and and I think it was tied 18th at the John Deere Classic. So I, I, I think um, at 100 to 1, Brandon Haggy, uh, he's just a young golfer uh, with, a, I think, once again, with a, with a solid form um, book in the last couple of tournaments and I, I think he could be trending in the right direction and could be good value at um, at 100 to 1. And my last bet of this is Tom Hoagie and this is another guy I've been sweating on for year, for, for what feels like years now um, and and the reason, I, the reason why though, I'm not just going this guy blindly, he's played okay here before but he also played a, his college golf in, 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 um, in this part of the world and so he's used to the conditions. He, he he's, he's played these courses quite a lot as a college golfer, and he had quite an esteemed um, career as a college golfer. 
and uh, I, I just uh, I'm waiting for this guy to come good, uh, and and it's a little bit of a flyer. You know, this is this is a bit of a you know this comes into that Cameron Davis sort of thing is again where I'm waiting for this guy to. I'm trying to beat the market with him now. He's 175 to one star sports, um, and I, he's I'm well into him in the red at this stage now. But I'm I don't really care. I'm I'm gonna um, I'm gonna carry on with him because. He's played okay here before. He's relatively fresh. Uh, he didn't make that trip across the ditch. And he's played good college golf uh, in this region. So he knows the conditions and he'll feel quite comfortable. And I'm, I'm waiting for this guy to turn the corner. And I just, once again, the small stakes, um, just at 175 to 1 for the places, is, I think, is my go with him. So those are my four for this week. Yeah, and a couple of those were were, were on my list. So, um, <laughs> in the nicest way possible, I hope they don't win. <laughs> um, Brandon Hagee, especially, I backed him. I had him. He got a place for me at 175 to one as a first round leader a couple of tournaments ago. And yeah, you're right. He's playing some really nice golf. He was just one of those that it was a bit of a flip flop um, between him um, and a couple of my longer ones. So yeah. yeah, on the same page about a couple of them. What about um, Chris Kirk? Uh, I, I I really thought about him long and hard at this tournament. And um, what about you? Yep, me and Chris Kirk. You know how well we get on. And Patton, yeah. another one that I um I don't hate at all. It's just I feel like with Chris Kirk, he almost he missed his chance to win. And I know that yeah. sounds ridiculous because he was playing so well, like really, really well for quite a while. And I backed him quite a lot during that time. And he just didn't quite break through. It was round about the players, wasn't it, earlier on in the year, then a couple of tournaments after it. Um, I just, I don't, he's not in as good a form as he was. Um, and he is playing still ultra consistent golf. And a 66 to one, I don't think that's a bad price at all. Um, but if I back him, I don't back one of my others. So I don't hate him at all. He was another on the long list. Yeah, desperately he doesn't win. Um, I just feel like he's he missed the crescendo that he was moving towards and didn't quite break through. Yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. I, he's been his pit form has been a bit spotty. Um, but uh, but but I do I I did think oh he could go quite well here. Um, but yeah, I, I eventually you know avoided him as well because as 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 you say um so eloquently you can't take everyone. So um. Okay, well, I think that really wraps it up. Uh, th- you know, thanks, uh, thanks, Matt. Matt Phillips joins me once again as my regular co-host. If you want to follow him on Twitter, it's f o r e underscore bet. He's got some great insights throughout the week and throughout the rounds. If you follow his tweets, uh, and uh, thanks everyone for listening, and I uh, hope you enjoyed the open as much as we did. And uh, it seems a bit of a shame that it's going to be that long. There's going to be eight, April until we actually see another major, but we've got the Ryder Cup coming up, Matt. And uh, so that should make for some interesting. I saw the Ryder Cup team on Twitter. Um, uh, someone put it out uh, uh, based on the results on the prize money for the US state um, US team. My God, that's a strong bloody team. Jesus Christ, I cannot see Europe getting past that team. I'm, not, I'm, I'm telling you now, I just can't see it. Not at Whistling Straits, we want. Maybe if it was at um, the, the Paris National, we might have a decent champ. But Bombers Paradise, Whistling Straits, I think we get absolutely murdered. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I hope not, but um, but uh, and you know, uh, but gee whiz, that's a very strong US team. Bloody hell! Yeah, it very much is. I think it's a very US dominated sport at the minute, isn't it? Looking at the top ten, top twenty in the world rankings, it's just USA after USA, really. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. looking at it's interesting the way I think the picks will be interesting. Did you hear the? 
the conference with with Harrington around who he was going to pick. And no, he very much suggested that he was. It, it was a conversation he was asked about rookies. I think in reference to Bob McIntyre, um, and he basically reflected that he thinks for this Ryder Cup, it's not the one to take rookies, and he's very much going to err on the side of experienced pros, which bode well for the likes of Justin Rose and Sergio and and that sort of golfer, and maybe not in the towards your, your Bob McIntyre's of the world. Now, hopefully, he will qualify anyway. Um, I know he, he went over from. He was in the field at Celtic Manor, wasn't he? In the yeah. the Kazoo Open, whatever it is, this week. But he's very, very close to that special temporary membership on the PGA. So for his career, I think it's absolutely the right move. But I think a top ten or something in Wales would have got him onto the team through the Euro points list. So it tells you a bit about about McIntyre's priorities, and I think he's got him absolutely right. Um, but it, it's not very strong in terms of the depth that the Euro team is it. Um, when you've got Victor Perez just out of the just out of the standings, when he's in absolutely no sort of form, and even on his best form, he wouldn't hold a candle to the number thirty in the the US points list. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I I, I just think uh, I think the last money I saw well, US team was I think they were about a, a buck fifty to uh, to win, and I thought that was that was great money. Um, but yeah, anyway, let, let, we'll, we'll, as we get closer to the Ryder Cup, we'll have a look at that as the team shape up, but. Thanks for everyone for listening and uh, enjoy the 3M Open uh, this week and uh, listen again next Tuesday when we wrap up that one and uh, and look forward to the next tournament. Thanks, Matt. Thanks very much, mate. Good luck for the week. You too, mate. Bye-bye.